0: My saying to to the employees here is, I don't want anyone here who has any role where they're not thinking. If you're doing something that's so repetitive, we can get technology to do that. I want you to do something of a higher and, and better use. You're listening to Retail Remix. Your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito.
1: Hey everyone, Alicia here. Hope you're all safe and well out there. As you all likely know, we're facing some new developments around COVID-19. A lot of stores are starting to reopen. Brands are starting to share their go-forward strategies. So a lot of the conversations we're starting to have are more forward-looking, are more focused around recovery, new tech and tactics that executives are gonna have to prioritize moving forward. So. For today's conversation, I'm excited to share some takeaways that Sam Zeitz. CEO of Grubber has acquired in his conversations with not just retailers, but with restaurants, amusement parks, and so many other folks in the retail and hospitality space. Grubber provides technology solutions, touchscreens, in order to not only create a more streamlined customer experience, but in order to address some of the pain points, efficiency-related and safety-related that we're hearing a lot about right now. So listen in, say, Sam has a really interesting perspective, again, coming from all of these different areas of the retail and hospitality market. And he has a very specific viewpoint as far as what trends will really rise to the top as stores continue to reopen and as brands across the landscape strive to remain competitive and maintain that top-level customer experience that we're all trying to achieve. So um, with that, I'm going to let Sam take it from here. Sam, thanks so much for taking the time out. Really excited to dig in and uh, talk shop with you.
0: Well, thank you for having me on today.
1: So you're actually based in Boca Raton, Florida, and you're kind of experiencing a bit of a coming out. So to kick off our conversation, let's get a little personal. How are things holding up for you personally? What's the climate like down where you are?
0: Well, I've got three teenagers at home who, who have been locked up, so they're excited. This weekend, we were actually able to leave and, and go to a restaurant for the first time in probably, you know, eight, nine weeks. So that was exciting. All but, you know, we were in a private room, but we had a, a great meal. I can tell you, I have never seen wait staff so attentive, so happy. Everybody was in a good mood, but, you know, things were different. You know, it wasn't a packed restaurant. In Florida, at least this weekend, it was a 25% max capacity. So they're, they're staging, and I believe we're, we're increasing to 50% now here in Florida. But you had the waiters wearing masks and gloves. The traditional menus had been replaced by paper menus. There was definitely a concerted effort to make sure that the cleanliness of the restaurant was apparent to the patrons. So you saw the hostess... Constantly going through with a spray bottle and cleaning the different places the different tables and chairs, and in common areas with disinfectant. But people were very, very excited. You know, there's an area down here called Meister Park, so people were were walking around, and it was uh, yeah. I think people were just happy. You know, we're we're used to hurricanes down here. During hurricanes, you know, people are locked up for a few days, and then all of a sudden the hurricane passes, and and everybody kind of comes out of their home. And you you see everybody kind of surveying the damage. So, you know, I think it was a lot of that. People were just happy to get out of their houses and see other people all but at a distance. So that was, uh, it's, it's different.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it's a bit surreal feeling that little bit of normalcy. And I think we're going to dig into that notion of, is it ever going to be completely normal or the way things were, um, especially if we look at it through the lens of, of retail? I'm sure you're going to have a lot to share from that perspective. But before we dig too much into that, I do you want to learn a little bit more about you, the work you do, you know, as the CEO of, of Grubber? Why don't you share a little bit of context for, for those listening, because you do a lot of work in restaurant, quick serve, but we obviously have a retail audience. So I think having that context will be good for everyone listening.
0: Yeah. So, so Grubber is the leader in self-ordering technology. A lot of what we've got a lot of notoriety on is our, our kiosks, but this also encompasses the entire ecosystem of online ordering, mobile ordering. And then we tie things like digital signage into it. And we tie even the delivery aspect of it with like uh, lockers which are utilized both in restaurant as food lockers that can be temperature controlled, but also in retail for, for pickup. You're, you're seeing them very popular right now with Amazon, but they're you know I'll give you a, a use case in retail is stadiums and arenas are starting to look at it because typically they only have one or two spots where they can have a retail store in a stadium, but people can't or don't want to walk all the way around to order their item. So now they can order and then go to a locker that's you know situated close to their seat and pick up that item. So you're seeing a blend of this technology. And what's interesting from our perspective is if you had had this conversation with me three months ago, I would have told you what the future looks like. I would have explained to you that in two to five years, this technology is going to be mainstream. I would have told you that just like at the bank the teller has been replaced, but that teller didn't get replaced overnight. They disappeared over 10 years. And much like you used to go to the airport and stand in this long line to speak to a ticketing agent, that ticketing agent was phased out and replaced with you know mobile check-in and kiosks. Well, the same thing is going to happen with the cashier. And the cashier is going to be phased out over that same period of time. But what uniquely happened is Corona. And when COVID came out, it's accelerated a number of things that were going to happen naturally over time. And that's what you're seeing is now with social distancing, people don't want to speak or or get close to a cashier. Whether it's in a retail setting, whether it's in a restaurant setting, whether it's in a park or amusement, people are, are sensitive to that. And candidly, the technology has been there and is there to handle this. So there's no need for this to occur other than what's happened before was companies were looking at this and they were evaluating the technology. And the leaders, like companies like McDonald's, had already implemented it and it was working. But everybody else was like, you know, we're profitable. Things are working. Let's evaluate this. But there's no rush to put that technology in. Well, fast forward, now it's, it's been accelerated. So we're having conversations on a daily basis with retailers who are now trying to plan, how do we reopen? And it's, it's a different thought process, especially on retail. In retail, the issue was always, how do we attract as many customers into our store? And more importantly, how do we keep them in there as long as possible? Because the longer we keep them in the store, the greater the likelihood they're going to buy more. Well, guess what? That's changed. Now it's how can we get them in and out as quick as possible because we're going to have limited capacity. So we need to be able to funnel people in and process their orders and, and move on so that we can bring in other customers. The days of walking into an Apple store and being shoulder to shoulder with you know hundreds or thousands of other customers are gone, at least for the, the near term
1: yeah, I think your point around acceleration of trends is really, consistent with a lot of the other conversations we're having. And and I think it's a few trends that are kind of rising to the top. So curbside, the shift to digital, contact lists in any form, whether that's fulfillment or payment, getting that product you need as quickly and easily as possible. Those seem to be the core levers that are dominating conversations right now as retailers, as restaurants try to really figure out the appropriate path forward, right? And and that's through a few different lessons. It's the near term, like you said, how do we get things open and operating again? But there has to be a a longer term angle, right? To like, so where do we go a quarter from here, two quarters, because this is going to be a long-term recovery period. So you noted that you're, you're speaking with a lot of different companies, whether it's restaurants, retailers, amusement parks, so a pretty... Broad scope. So I have to ask you, like, what's dominating those conversations right now? Is it largely the how do we make this experience as quick, easy, and safe as possible? Or are they thinking more long term? Where are we going as a business?
0: So there's a few, quite a few answers to that. So there's two things that, that are occurring. One is, you know, a lot of these stores are looking to reopen. And how, you know, the first question is, is, how can we reopen? Because before, somebody would walk into your establishment because you had a product or service that they were interested in. You had a value proposition that would resonate with them. Your prices were affordable, so that's why they would walk in. Now, there's another factor that you have to account for, and that is, is it safe? Is it safe for me to even walk into your establishment Whether you're a restaurant, whether you're a retailer, whether you're a theme park or a casino, is it safe? And you have to, as the retailer, take, in my opinion, overt acts to present to the consumer that it is safe, that it it is clean. So while we believe that the natural progression was a natural evolution was that the cashier was was going to disappear from the ecosystem, that doesn't mean that people aren't reallocated into to other areas. And in the short term, we see those people being moved to acts of cleanliness over uh, until there's a, a cure and a vaccine that's out there, which you know, could be six months, could be a year, could be two years. So you need to take those overt acts of cleanliness so that your customer base realizes that you're making this a, a priority so that they feel comfortable walking into your establishment. Now, once they're in your establishment, what's that experience look like now? And it, it's going to be a, a little bit different than it was before. So you know, on the payment side, in, in the process to actually complete your transaction, people aren't going to want to necessarily interact as, as often as they did with the cashier. So you're going to see a, a change in that. Obviously, having staff in the short term wearing masks and, and gloves is another perceived act of cleanliness. But the, the, what we discussed before is getting people in and out in a quicker manner so that you can continue to, to bring people through. Everybody's talking right now about, you know, Corona. And even if we waved a magic wand and, and had it all cured tomorrow, the other issue we're going to be facing that's not getting quite as much attention, which it should, is we're going to be facing a pretty significant recession at least in the near term, depends how quick you know we bounce back. You know, everybody's talking about a V curve, a U curve, a, an L, a W, You know, <laughs> pick your. <apartment. laughs> they, they seem to be using up the entire alphabet, but you can't help but but have an, an impact. So I think it's forcing a lot of retailers to actually prioritize technology. Where before, hey, things worked, we were all making money we can put this off, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But now where there were traditional laggards on technology, the winners are going to be the ones that not only embrace it and catch up, but actually get ahead. And that's going to be important because those that don't are going to be the ones that probably don't survive long-term. I think you're going to see complete changes in design and layouts of stores an Apple Store, you know, was was at the forefront, right? There was no cashier that you would walk over to and line to stand in to check out. So you're you're going to see a, a, their stores look different than other retail stores, and you're going to see others very quickly pivot as they begin to open new stores or remodel stores to embrace what this new normal looks like.
1: Yeah, a lot of really great points there, and I agree that it seems like in many ways there has been a pivot and it seems like the qualities that were once largely seen among the differentiating brands or or the top performing brands, the innovative brands, it's almost like those qualities, whether it's the tech or the way they collaborate internally, the way they test and learn, all of these attributes are almost becoming table stakes. So it'll be fascinating to see how that continues to shake out as we continue to go through reopening, the recovery process, whatever that ends up looking like. And I guess this kind of lends itself well to one of the questions I I initially was planning to ask you, but I feel like you almost answered it already, but I would love for you to tell me otherwise around really what you think is or has been proven to be broken when we look at the customer experience in retail and restaurants? Is it the fact that they haven't been prioritizing this technology and that's kind of leaving them rushing to catch up? Or like what what do you find to be the biggest flaws or problems as you continue to have these conversations and and as you kind of identify the holes or gaps in, in their priorities and Strategies is that that tech piece that that seems to be pretty consistently empty or lacking.
0: Listen, even before this pandemic occurred, businesses, successful businesses, were already implementing these types of game plans and strategies. And really, the the real answer is, is an acceleration of an omni channel approach of both online and retail merging together. So. It's not, you know. It's funny. You look at the most successful e-commerce merchant in the world. It's Amazon, and what have they done over the last few years? Is they've actually started to put a retail presence together. So it's it's a combination of both. And I think a lot of retailers were slow to embrace online, or they were doing it in a, you know, they were kind of dipping their toe into the water, but they weren't really embracing an, an integrated omni channel approach and i think you know what you're going to see in retail is probably smaller footprint stores less inventory in those stores and more centralized distribution to be able to then get the product to the consumer in a quick fashion so instead of having you know 50 of every item in every size and every color in every store within an area you might have one that they can try on they can see but then it either gets shipped to their home or shipped to that store and placed into to the locker for pickup later. People are still going to want to, to, to touch and feel things. So I'm not advocating that everything's going to e-commerce, but I think it's a, a blend of the two. You don't necessarily have to have every shoe in every style, in every color in, in stock. People are going to want to go in and, and try it on and then be able to, to place that order. Another trend that you're going to see is, I believe, in our lifetime, you're going to see us as a cashless society. If retailers were given their their choice today, they would most of them would go cashless. If you've ever gone to an Apple store and pay with cash, it's, it's pretty funny to, to watch how discombobulated you get the uh, sales agent. But what you're you're getting now is is we're not quite ready for that because 20% of society today is still unbanked which means they don't even have a debit card let alone a credit card and basically if you're saying they can't come in and shop in your store if they don't have a credit card you're telling 20% of society they're not welcome in your your location and you're starting to see some states come out and enforce retailers certain retailers to ensure that they will continue to take cash as a form of payment. And that is is probably the dirtiest thing that you can probably put in the the store, is cash, because everybody's starting to see now that bacteria and viruses and and everything are now on cash, and credit cards for for that matter too. So that's why when we talk about kiosks, you're not presenting the card to someone else to, to touch. So you're not transferring that. And what we've done is we've also integrated cash recyclers into some of our kiosks so that you don't need to have a cashier there to, to take the cash and transpose it back and forth. So that, again, the consumer can pay much like if it was think of almost like an ATM, but it'll actually dispense the correct changes as well. And by doing this, you've eliminated anyone in the establishment from having to touch cash. Even the, the manager, so you've eliminated the, the reconciliation at the end of the day. You've eliminated any shrinkage, either intentional or unintentional. You've even eliminated the need for, you know, if somebody were to come up and put a gun to the manager's head and ask for the, the money, he wouldn't even have or she wouldn't have access to, to the cash. So what we've done is we've partnered with Garda, which is the one of the largest armored car services in North America, and they'll actually go and pull the cash once a week, once a day, whatever the rec- you know appropriate time is. So there's no need to to go to a bank, no need to reconcile cash, and the money each day, even though it might still physically reside in the kiosk, will automatically be deposited into that merchant's bank account. So they have what we give consider a provisional credit until the cash is actually physically collected. So they have access to the cash immediately. So that's another piece of technology that that's being implemented to both of, as a safety precaution, but you know, we were doing this long before safety was, was a concern, just to again make everything more efficient. So you know, when you're going into a recession, you want to, you know, efficiency becomes paramount. Before you might have had larger margins and, and you didn't have to be so efficient to be profitable. But when times are tighter, you you need to create that efficiency. And nothing's as efficient as, as technology.
1: Yeah, it definitely seems like there needs to be a strategic assessment of, you know, where's our experience today? And what can be automated in a way without having that loss of experience, you know, what areas of that experience also need to be re examined to ensure that, you know, the safety and health areas are are addressed. And then you can kind of orchestrate, okay, like what value then would employees add to the mix because my follow up question for you is you know with any form of technology or automation that that leads to one less thing an, an employee has to do which is great but then it's like okay well what do we task our employees to address what are their responsibilities so they can continue to add value to the experience and, and basically, you know, add value to our business so we can keep them <laughs> as employees, right? Especially in light of all of these furloughs. I mean, how do you foresee that Balance being achieved, like achieving that level of efficiency and automation, but still, you know, giving employees that opportunity to be a part of the business and serve customers in a meaningful way.
0: I mean, the answer I'll tell you what I have a saying around here, and I think it applies to to all businesses. My saying to to the employees here is, I don't want anyone here who has any role where they're not thinking. If you're doing something that's so repetitive, we can get technology to do that. I want you to do something of a higher and, and better use. And that translates across the board. So now you're getting people out from behind a counter and you can get them, You know, especially be, you know what we were saying bef- before Corona is, is get them out interacting. Now they can one act as a kiosk concierge, much like you, you see at the airport, so you've got bank of 40 kiosks and, and one or two attendants there answering questions or helping people, but you know in, in a restaurant, uh, you know they could be handing out samples of, of new products to try. Again, you're trying to to do things that can create more of a value proposition in where they can add, in. and it depends on on what type of retailer it is, what they can be doing that can drive more revenue. And that's where you, you really want them doing that. You don't want them doing monotonous things over, over and over. That's where technology will come in. So now you can redirect their efforts to, to something of a, of a higher and better use. In the short term, directing them towards overt acts of, of cleanliness would be one. Obviously, you know, trying to engage consumers in, in more experiential type experiences with whatever that product would be would be probably the, the, the most ideal but it would obviously depend on a client by client uh, basis so you know if you're a candy store they're they're out handing out samples you know it, it all depends w- what they are
1: yeah, I think that's great and I think you know my, my next question for you is around making the tech, reality in stores? Because we have seen cases where retailers like test a new concept or test new cutting edge technology. It's sometimes limited to one store or a small number of store and never reaches that full adoption, which, you know, my next point is kind of digging into the barriers to entry or barriers to adoption, I guess, if we're looking at it through the lens of the store. So I have to ask, how do you kind of navigate those conversations, like when I'm thinking around tech adoption challenges, it's, you know, integration with systems, right? Looking at it through a store inventory standpoint, like it's not integrating with the tech, the infrastructure we already have in place. And then, of course, there's the getting our associates on board and and then finally, obviously, getting the customer to use it. So how do you navigate those conversations with retailers, especially as this becomes a more urgent area of investment, again, as we kind of get into this stage of recovery.
0: Yeah, so, so you touched on it. I mean, at the beginning, the most important thing is the UI and UX are are paramount. If you don't get that right, you're not setting yourself up for success if you, if you don't have that out of the gate. But things have changed over the, the last decade. And what we've done is we've conditioned the consumer, on how to use technology and how to interact with it without instruction. Almost everyone at this point has a smartphone or a tablet. There's no user manual on when you get a new app on how to use something. Right. That's why you, UI and UX is, is important. But everyone now knows how to interact with this. So it's not like you're going to have to have somebody there explaining how, how to use it if you've properly implemented the UI in UX, one of the concerns we've seen where kiosks have not worked as well is depending on the the form factor and screen size. So we typically don't recommend utilizing anything less than a 21 inch, and we typically will say a 32 inch you know screen is, is ideal. What ends up happening is a, is a lot of retailers try to go with you know taking an iPad and turning that into a kiosk. That does not work as well in a retail setting. It's more difficult for the consumer to even see it, <laughs> to, to, to know that that's where they're supposed to, to be going. But there's a direct correlation between screen size and average ticket. Interesting. So the larger the screen size, the increase in revenue. Uh, you touched on another point, which is system integrations. So this really is where you... So let me start with cost. Technology is a lot more affordable than, than than most retailers realize. And we we have solutions where literally a retailer could be up and running in a matter of of days with a complete solution that's working. What adds time and what adds cost are the level of, of integrations that that you want. Do you have you wanted to integrate to your existing point of sale system. Do you wanted to integrate to your ERP system? Do you have some sort of loyalty program that you need to integrate to? You know, are you in a college town and you want to integrate it to to whatever the student you know cards are for for payment there? You know, where Major League Baseball get offers discounts to their season ticket holders at the souvenir shop, so they get ten percent off. Well, that's an integration. So it's a lot of the these things uh, only create more efficiency, but sometimes a number of them we, we have integrations, others, you know, those would increase the, the cost and, and time to go live. So, what we end up seeing is a lot of even large chains will run these as standalone and prove the concept and be able to run pilots saying, okay, we see the value proposition and then say, okay, now we'll, we'll pay the money to, to do these integrations to further streamline that without necessarily taking the risk upfront. The cost of this type of technology, if we had, if we had spoken before, you know, call it the beginning of the year, I would have told you there were three main value propositions to implementing kiosks at retail. One, increase of revenue, because it increases the average ticket size. you get a perfect upsell every time. So, you know, where the clerk may, may not even remember to upsell or will upsell with the one stated product, like a sneaker store, they, the one upsell might be, hey, you want socks. Well, here you can customize every product with its own necessarily customized upsell. So you increase the average ticket that way. You also, if you see long lines in a store, a lot of times people will be like, you know what? I'm only buying one item forget it. I'm out of mm-hmm. here. I'm, yep. I'm not standing behind 10 people to go pay. So again, you eliminate the walkaway customer, which also helps candidly to improve the customer experience. And then secondarily, there's a reduction in expense because you, you are, you're minimizing or eliminating cashiers. So you're eliminating that expense and then you're reallocating them to, to other parts of the business, which, you know, you would imagine would would help generate additional revenue. The fourth thing, which is new, is the the safety and, and security, given the current environment with social distancing and all the concerns from a, from a health perspective. But the cost of this technology, generally, you can lease or finance it, so it's immediately accretive. A so you, you know you're literally saving money day one by implementing that type of technology, which a lot of people don't realize. This is not a huge CapEx expenditure that you have to outlay.
1: That's great. So I have to ask you, do you foresee any consumers getting the ics around touching a touchscreen moving forward? And if so, how do you encourage retailers and quick serve restaurants to kind of combat that. Is that? Does that kind of tie into the cleanliest topic or is it a matter of giving out those little um, copper knuckle things that I'm seeing now? Like, Is that going to be even like a talking point within this new digital touchscreen ecosystem or, or do you think the value is just going to be so, you know, significant that consumers aren't going to be thinking that way?
0: You know, it's funny, you know, most will walk right up and, and use it is what we're seeing. It was interesting. uh, This is not a restaurant analogy, but we were noticing this is before the quarantine. So call it the end of February, beginning of March before the country kind of got locked down. What we noticed is at Asian restaurants, there was a a pretty sizable drop. They saw a 20% drop in their business. Because people thought they could catch corona from Asian restaurants, which, mm-hmm. which yeah, that's a whole illegal. other
1: conversation, <laughs> Sam.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, comical, but but so their business was down. But at the same time, when their business was down, what we saw was a thirty-eight percent uplift at the kiosk.
1: Interesting. So
0: people, even before quarantine, were making a conscious decision not to interact with a cashier, but go to a kiosk. So. I mean, There was already a, you know, a sizable you know, shift to kiosk, but just in that short period of time, people were drawn to the kiosk. Now, to directly answer your question, there's a few things going on. The, in the immediate, what, what our clients have been doing is they've been putting out alcohol wipes and, and hand sanitizer for, for people to use before and, and after utilizing the, the kiosk for those that wish to do so. We've implemented UV technology into the kiosks, which will kill corona and everything else. But while it works, we think there's that perceived concern in the short term until everybody realizes, because UV, it, you know, it's almost like invisible, right? <laughs> You're like, does it really work? It does really work and it does really kill the bacteria. But I think there's going to be some education to the consumer that it's safe because of that. So... The two things that we've been recommending that are overt so that the consumer feels completely, you know, assured is one, having employees wiping them down in between usage. So if you have a bank of, you know, four or five kiosks, you've got one employee who's there to answer any questions, but at the same time to wipe down each one before in between usage. The other thing that we've done is these, not gloves, but they're, just to go on one finger. They almost look like little finger condoms. You put them on, and we've been providing those to our clients as well. And then the customer just puts that on. They can touch the, the touchscreen and then toss it in the, in the garbage when, when they're done. And they're very, very inexpensive. So that's been a, another you know, solution. The other thing that, that we've done is we've integrated QR codes onto the products as well. So for the consumer that does not want to touch the screen, they can go up to the screen with their phone. They take their phone, they scan it with the with the camera. It'll automatically convert their phone, their smartphone, into a virtual kiosk. And then they can place their order, you know, they can utilize their own phone, select what they want, and either pay on their phone or pay at that kiosk. Again, tap and go or credit card or, or whatever type of technology. So you've got people that are on either end of the spectrum. Some some are completely fine with it. Others are like Howard Hughes and, you know, complete phobia for, for everything. So <laughs> you, you've got that.
1: Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see how it all shakes out, like how consumer behaviors change, like what their concerns become, because like I kind of alluded to it in, in my question, I'm already starting to see these infomercials around like it almost looks like a brass knuckle, but it's only for one finger, like like you were you were talking about with what the other example and you just kind of use it It's like copper and you use it to do the t- touch screen so you don't have to touch anything. So I'm wondering like, how these little things will play out in the long term. But it's fascinating to hear what what you guys are doing from a product perspective to try and alleviate all of those potential pain points or potential hurdles. Um, So I'm curious, is there anything else that Grubber has going on that has the intent of supporting retailers and, and restaurants, not just through this time, but I mean, moving forward, as we all try to adapt to new realities, try to pivot strategically and, you know, tried to continue to be profitable businesses. I mean, is there anything else going on for Grubber that, that you want to call out?
0: Yeah, I, I think we, we talked about it briefly, but the, the other product is the lockers. You've seen it. Amazon is a leader with it, but you're going to see that become more and more prevalent. Again, you know as it pertains to Corona, you're, you're trying to eliminate interactions with consumers. And listen, it, it works two ways. Don't get me wrong, you know, just because the consumer doesn't want to interact with the employee, we're we're also seeing employees that don't wanna don't want to interact with consumers either. So it's not a one-way discrimination of of not wanting to to be close. And the lockers, a lot of times, those are two-sided lockers. So like in, in a food example, usually one side is is facing the kitchen and the other side is facing where the consumer is. So they would order on a kiosk, they would order online, and then they could go pick the item up. So what ends up happening is the staff would put it in from the back of the locker, and when they close that door to the back of the locker, it immediately notifies the consumer via text that their their order is now ready, or it'll also display in an overhead uh, screen above the lockers, much like you would see, you know, at like a... Hertz or, or something you know letting you know what what stall or what, what spot your product is available at. so you know people can now order even online or through their mobile device and then go into the store and, and pick it up and not have to go stand in line or, or, or go see a, an employee to pick up their product. So that that's a, another type of technology that we think is going to be popularized very, very quickly that's already in, in existence. Our entire product lineup is tied in one ecosystem so it, you know the, the concern you have is running disparate systems so you want it all to, to speak together so even you know for those that it makes sense on, on digital signage for example if a product is out of inventory you can have it automatically pop, pull off the the digital signage so that it's no longer on the list so if you you know if you have 10 products and one product's gone now you only see nine up on the digital signage. and you can also change pricing in real time. So if you you know you're trying to move something you know or you want to increase pricing or decrease it, you can do it on, on the fly. So having everything connect is part of an ecosystem as opposed to running these different disparate systems is what you're going to start to to see the more advanced businesses do. And obviously, you know, by doing all this, you have access to to data on your client which allows you to be a, a smarter, you know, retailer and to, to be able to then provide custom offers to to your your clients with the more information you you know about them to improve their experience as well.
1: That's great. Really really fascinating stuff, Sam. Um but we had a really really detailed conversation, I think, around some of the conversations you're having, the acceleration of tech adoption, you know, what what you're seeing in both retail and, and restaurant. I think it's gonna be a really fascinating space for us to keep a close eye on. But to close out our conversation, you you kind of sprinkled in some ideas, recommendations throughout our chat today, but are there any closing remarks, closing statements that you want to share with all of the executives that maybe listening right now and, and trying to build their plan for the future. I mean, what what would be your, your key takeaway is to Spotlight?
0: Yeah, the, the key takeaway I, I would have is is you need to be proactive. What we're seeing is larger enterprise retail organizations, they're out there, they're planning, they're thinking. There's no playbooks. So they're they're creating those playbooks they and they're trying to figure out what this new world looks like, anticipating it and having these plans ready for when business reopens. I think a lot of the independents are are being more reactive and they're, they're waiting. And the problem is you don't want to wait too long because all of a sudden you're going to see everybody else roll out this and you're going to be late to the game. And that might be the difference between survival and extinction.
1: Love it, Sam. Thanks again so much for uh, taking the time out. I know there are a lot of similarities between retail and restaurants, some some nuances that that separate them, but I think a lot of the points that you brought up today are pretty universal given given the circumstances, the, the new realities that we're all dealing with. So th- thanks again so much for taking the time out to chat with me today.
0: Well, thank you for having me on. It was, it was great catching up.
1: And thanks everyone out there for listening. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.